1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
0: Football Social Daily with German Donna Kebab. Kebabs done right and delivered right to you via Uber Eats and Deliveroo. Hello,
2: welcome to Football Social Daily, the podcast keeping your finger on the pulse with everything that's going on in the world of the English Premier League. We'll get you up to speed with the latest news and opinion, as well as the transfer gossip doing the rounds. So if you like what you hear, hit subscribe, however you follow your podcasts, and you'll never miss another episode of the show again. With a return to top flight action firmly in sight, managers will be scratching their heads day and night, deciding who to choose in their squads. Teams will meet to discuss whether new players should be allowed to play. I'll explain what I mean by new players very shortly. Also we'll discuss farcical friendlies ahead of the Premier League resumption and Ralph Hasenhürtel putting pen to paper on a new Southampton deal. Not to mention the latest transfer gossip including news on Timo Werner and a possible Serie A switch for Newcastle United's Matty Longstaff. My name's Niall, and alongside me on today's podcast, we have Steve McNaughton and Adam Keyworth. Hello, boys. Good morning. Steve, I know you had a week off last week. How was it?
0: It was okay, mate. You know, it was just a bit of decorating at home and... You know, going to the tip and stuff like that. So that's about as exciting as it got, really. Not a bad week to have off. A bit of sun, yeah. rare sunshine. No, not bad at all. Like uh, yeah, so you know, getting the swimming pool blown up and filled up for the kids and stuff like that. You know, could leave I mean? it
2: out this week. It'll fill up with rain by the end of the week. It's just the way the weather exactly. is in this country. <laughs> um, shall we kick off with a review, gents? Why not? This is an absolute belter. It comes from uh, meist One 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 on Apple Podcasts. He's in the United States. He says. Can I give Football Social Daily six stars? It's a five-star review, but he wants to give us six. Thank you very much. He says, great podcast with tons of insight and opinions from multiple perspectives. I love that everyone on the show roots for different teams, including some in the lower leagues, and provide a good balance between non-biased and outright homer statements Can't wait for it to be a daily show again. Thank you very much, Meist110. I called him 111. His name's Meist110. I apologise. even got your name wrong. See, that's probably why we don't deserve six stars. Uh, but what a guy. Thank you very much. Very kind review. And if you want to leave a review, please do. Even if you just want to have a go at us, feel free. Just make sure you leave five stars. Then you can leave your nasty comments. You might even get a shout out on the show uh, just like Myst110 did today. Now, as I mentioned, that review came from the United States of America and I couldn't start today's podcast without mentioning what we've seen in both the United States and across the world in recent days. I'm talking about The Black Lives Matter movement. And before I go any further, I'm a white man. Myself, Marley, Jim, we're all lucky enough to work on this podcast full time. We're all white guys. Adam's white, Steve's white. The majority of us who feature on the show are white. And I speak for all of us on Football Social Daily when I say, as white people, we have no idea, no understanding, no modicum of comprehension, really, on how it feels to be black or minority ethnic in today's society. None. But we can learn, we can educate ourselves. We can fight for the cause. It's a cause which shouldn't need fighting at all, but yet it still exists. It's on us as white people to ensure that those voices that have been dampened, quietened, and in many cases silenced, it's on us to make sure those voices are heard the Minnesota Freedom Fund, the Bail Project, the Black Visions Collective, Reclaim the Block in the UK, the Stephen Lawrence Trust, Colour of Change, StandwithBree.com, the Movement for Black Lives. These are just a handful of charitable causes and petitions that you can get involved with. If the only thing you do today is learn a little bit more about why this is happening, then we're one step closer to a change. Football's called the beautiful game. It's called the world game, but racism rears its ugly head all too often in our sport. And as white people... We haven't done enough. Football hasn't done enough. We must do more. We have to. We've seen the football world show their support for the Black Lives Matter movement in several ways recently. Adam, let's start with Jadon Sancho, a simple message on the front of his shirt from a very young man, quite frankly to me, somewhat still a kid. And he was showing his thoughts on the issues that black people face. Political messaging for, well, for desperate want of a better expression, is forbidden in professional football. However, for me, this transcends politics. I don't know how you feel about it,
1: yeah, and like you said the the key for this is we're three middle class white blokes that have been lucky enough to do a podcast about football um we we have no real understanding of of the cause without having almost the the forethought to educate ourselves to learn and to listen and that that's something that we're all guilty of we don't we don't listen enough. This this Black Lives Matter cause goes on every single day, but we only seem to take note when when one of these tragic events happens and more people are speaking out. So it's on us, like you said, to, to do that. And footballers have the platform to make real change. And somebody like Sancho, who's come from a minority background, um, quite a hard, tough upbringing by... Uh, what he's said in the past him to be able to be on global television putting forward a message that he believes in and it's it's not i hate the the term political message it's not it's just him standing mm. up for what he believes in and what everyone else is fighting for with him so i think it's it's imperative that footballers when they can use their voice in a positive way and that's exactly what he was doing Um, we saw Mm. it from him we saw it from Weston McKenney we saw it from uh, Hakimi from Dortmund as well and it's important Mm. there's one thing that I absolutely hate um, and that's when people tell sports stars past present to stick to sports I totally agree, Keezy. I'm so
2: glad you said that. I see that all the time on Twitter when people say, oh, you know, stick to football is what you're good at. I mean, you don't tell a construction worker to stick to laying foundations and stick to building walls. I mean, people are allowed an opinion on things.
1: Of course they are. And footballers have the platform to express the opinion that we don't. And football is at its very root a, a working class sport or always was in the past. And players are fortunate enough to come through and be super talented at what they do and then they have that platform and deservedly so it's not about sticking to sports it's about using that platform to be active and to really put forward a message and I've seen that there's a lot of things coming out of FIFA saying actually don't punish them for Mm. that but they will punish them for other things so you can't pick and choose footballers are allowed to have a voice whether you agree with that voice or not is, is up to you but I think what Sancho's done and I've praised him for this in the past. He seems mature beyond his years. Um, the the likes of himself and Sterling have always spoken up for themselves and for their communities. And I think they should continue to do that, whether they're punished or not. If they, they are punished, then let them continue. Because it, it shouldn't stop them. If football is going to be so just awful in that it's not going to allow them to say what they think, then... We'll, we'll stick with the players and, and we have done on this show before and we'll continue to do so but I'm impressed that at such a young age he seems to have such a mature head on his shoulders and he's he's not frightened about FIFA saying right you're going to get banned he, he doesn't care he's just he's sticking up for himself and his community and it's something we need to do as well we need to stick up for them when this happens so mm. fair play to him I agree and
2: you know we see these pathetic fines dished out for racist behaviour from the authorities absolutely pathetic You know, how is that a deterrent in any way? I mean, the education needs to be improved. We need to do more as a game. So it would only just prove how poorly judged some of the authorities are if they were to punish Sancho and the like for those messages. And as you say, I totally agree with you for desperate want of a better expression than political messaging, because I think it runs deeper than that. Steve, we've seen clubs and squads in training take a knee in their respects that they're paying to to George Floyd what's your take on the whole situation I mean I think personally we need to be doing more as a game and as a sport entirely I just don't think we've done enough particularly a sport that kind of prides itself on being called the global game or the beautiful game
0: uh, yeah I wholeheartedly agree I just you know echo the sentiments of what you two gents have just said um, on the subject I'm, I'm absolutely horrified by what I've seen in recent times and obviously my thoughts are with George Floyd and his family and everyone close to him at the minute for that unspeakable situation that that happened and I agree we have to do more as a society we have to do more as individuals and we have to keep promoting the message and you know and and, and, and making sure that you know inclusion is is paramount and you know educating people that are struggling with that or struggling to wrap their the head around it and um, and become a more you know um, cultural society I like the fact that the, the football players and teams do use their platform for good you know on this occasion i think you know the teams like liverpool and and newcastle and chelsea you know taking the footage from training and and promoting that out is fantastic because it gets it out to millions upon millions of of people across the various social media channels and, and that can only be a good thing because they're so influential these people and they know that, you know, the clubs know that, and um, if we can educate, certainly a younger generation, to to pick up on these, you know, correct messages and correct ways of living, and the fact that you know we do need to promote acceptance and we do need do need to be more tolerant of, of of things in life in general. I think that's only a, a good thing, and I hope that this carries on because, like I say, I think this isn't something that that should go away in a week or two when you know, things like protests and riots and everything stop. This is something that we need to, you know, to, to keep banging the drum on really and, and, and keep speaking about it and keep it in, you know, in our awareness, you know, but pretty much like, you know, mental health, you know, this this is something that needs to be educated from, from a very young age and, you know, and, and we need to be be more civil about things. And, you know, I, I'm just really, really saddened by it at the minute and I've struggled to process the last, you know, few days while all this has been going on, and, and get me head round the whole situation. Unfortunately,
1: I think I think what's what Steve said's right. That it's about keeping it at the forefront of of everything that we do, both in sport and everything else that we do. Really, like we say, we're we're honest, and we have to be honest with ourselves and say we're as a podcast and as as an industry at large, we're we're very white middle class men and that has to change and like like we've said this can't this isn't going to go away it hasn't gone away this is why it continues and this has to be the point where we say look we need to learn from from what these protests mean and we need to educate ourselves that I found at a point yesterday that I felt I almost felt a little bit silly that I didn't know enough about what was going on so I've what I thought what can I do as a as a fortunate privileged white male what what can i do to help and luckily people have put online and you've said you said at the start of this podcast there's so many places you can go to to read to donate to to help and to almost push this into everyone's just subconscious we we need to keep this at the forefront and whether that's reading books or like I say donating to to funds that are going on there's something we can do and it, it is all about i saw john amici this morning um who always speaks so brilliantly on on race saying that it and it's something that many have said it's not just good enough not to be racist you have to be anti-racist and be active in being anti-racist and that is having honest conversations with yourself with with your friends it's it's one thing putting things on social media um but it's another thing speaking to people off social media if if you looked at social media over the last few years Trump was never getting in Brexit was never happening and and the whole Trump thing on social media always makes it look like this is the only opinion but it's not um, we all live in a bubble on social media that there's people outside of it that you have to have these conversations with and I really hope that what's gone on and over the last week and over the last years especially that there is going to be some good that comes from this and it's, it's on us to do so but it it's good that we can talk about it openly on, on a, a sports podcast that uh, hopefully football can be a driver for it. I, I said to you before we came on air football during this, this whole crisis that has gone on for the last few months with coronavirus and everything that's come with it, football's been almost weaponized as this is a morale booster football coming back is good. If football is that big a deal, then football can make real change. Surely and it's on the authorities, but it's also on us as fans to push authorities and push people who are in power to, to make these changes. So hopefully we can do that, and uh, I imagine we'll all, we'll all be doing our best.
2: Mm. I agree. I remember 15 years ago as an 11-year-old queuing up outside the Nike store in Oxford Street in London to buy a stand-up, speak-up wristband. I remember
1: them, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: and, you know, it was an issue... 15 years ago it's been an issue for far too long and it's an issue now still and it needs to be eradicated immediately as soon as possible and the more we can do as a game to to enc- to encourage that and to make sure that it happens the better the world will be let's talk about premier league football because that's what we're here for here on football social daily and let's talk about the premier league restart because Premier League clubs will be discussing what players they're going to pick, mainly the managers, of course. The squads need to be registered to the league and many clubs have omitted players who had long-term injuries. Now, with the two, three-month layoff, many of those players, Steve, have come back to full fitness. So we could see totally different squads to the ones we initially would have expected if the season had carried on its normal trajectory. I know Tottenham have said that they've got a fully fit squad. We've seen players, um, for instance, like David Brooks at Bournemouth, who hasn't played a single minute of Premier League action this season he's available again for Bournemouth and they're in a relegation scrap so in terms of the integrity of the league that we always keep hearing about it would be interesting to see what the kind of uh, the pathway is for clubs in terms of what players they're allowed to use and which ones maybe would be considered unfair
0: yeah I think it's a funny one really because it's it's quite new information to me this that that, that, this is a thing and um, I've been trying to kind of Wrap my brain and think like you know is who um, who benefit massively from from this you know potential new legislation really and the first player and Adam will be able to correct me on this as a Man City fan because I'm pretty sure I'm wrong but it was Sane included in the Premier League team because he got a injury severe injury quite early didn't he There's, there's no doubt about it Leroy Sane is, is a massive boost to Man City because of you know he's such a brilliant mercurial player. And, um, you know, will City be a better team with with, uh, Leroy in the the squad? Absolutely will be. So I think it's just one of them things. I think it's just when you're looking at having three months off football, like we've had and all the moving parts that are involved in getting the season restarted, I think it's just one of them things that's going to happen. And it's not something that's causing a great deal of concern to me personally, because I think, you know, for my club, for example, we've not had anyone who's on... Being on a significant long-term injury, um, this season we've had people that have had eight weeks out and um and, and so on and so forth of for various muscle muscle injuries, but we've not had that really serious injury. So I just think it's just one of them things. Let's put it into the mixer and let's crack on, and you know get things started in a couple of weeks and and see how the land lies.
1: Sane was included in the uh, the squad that was registered in September, the twenty-three man squad. Um. But he just hasn't played a game this season. I, I think it's. Um, I kind of agree with this, you know, only because the way that all the other rules are changing and all the other things, being able to add in players who you had in your club but were injured, I think is fair enough. I think it's fair. Case. Um, I think. I think in the in the grand scheme of all the mad stuff that they've they've come up with, I think this seems to be the fairest one. Um, yeah, and there's no. You know, nothing suggesting that a club
2: like Norwich couldn't come back and win all of their remaining games. It is almost like the start of a new season. We've had a longer break between the Mar- March the 13th and June the 17th. That is a longer time period than the usual pre-season between the end of one season and the start of a new fresh one. So, I mean, we could see some strange results. It's almost inevitable that we're going to see some weird fixtures and, and weird scorelines thrown up.
1: I, I think we've talked about this before, that... Um... I think there will be some mad results when when teams come back because without the home advantage atmospheres and um, especially Liverpool could come back and win the league within the first uh, match week and then Liverpool are in a position where they're, they're kind of not fought off the gas at all but you, you're looking at it thinking, oh, if we're going to Anfield and we really need a result, Liverpool are kind of done in the Premier League and that's... That's not saying that they'll be complacent or anything, but it it just is the case that they might be just I don't know looking the other way. So, um, I'm I almost have a, a morbid fascination with football coming back in general in the Premier League that I've no idea what to expect. I've no idea really what to think, and I just kind of want to see what's going to happen with it all. But I'm just I don't know. I I've said throughout this whole thing I I didn't really want it to come back this year, but it it is. So let's just see what happens with it. Um I think I, it's because the convention of football as we
2: know it, the Premier League as we know it, you know, certain start dates, certain rules, certain frameworks and parameters that we've been so used to over the last thirty years of the Premier League almost, have just been completely flipped upside down and turned on their heads. And I think that's why It's so fascinating because nobody knows how to deal with it. You would have thought that the Premier League would have had a contingency plan, not for a pandemic, but certainly for unforeseen circumstances. But now we're really sort of figuring out uh, what the real issues are and and how things can get uh, back up and running again. What's interesting to me, Steve, as well, because we're seeing players and staff members getting tested over and over and over again uh, to make sure that they aren't coronavirus positive. But if players or staff members test positive for COVID-19 in the next week or so it's likely they're going to miss the resumption of the season because the quarantine period is 14 days which overlaps the resumption date of the season so you know there's still plenty of um of obstacles that can trip clubs and players up
0: yeah definitely and it's something that we need to be mindful of I think you know we can be encouraged by the testing so far and the fact that we got zero on the last round of testing but it's so fluid it's going to change and you know, I won't be surprised if we did. You know, uh, what nearly eleven 1, hundred tests, and and we got a dozen back or something. You know, at, at one point. And again, when we're talking about twenty-five man squads and stuff like that, if let's say, for example, heaven forbid, one of our front three in my team, you know, a diagnosed positive with coronavirus, that is a massive leveler. If if one of them, you know, misses the start of the season, and it's just something we've got to be mindful of, and we've just got to keep, you know, promoting. Um, the guidelines and following the guidelines and hoping that you know we can keep it as close to zero as possible, really.
1: And I think I think like Steve says there, there's there's the positive test, but there's also going to be injuries. It's it's guaranteed that there's going to be more injuries if if you just work off the the facts that have come with um, the resumption in Germany. There's so many more injuries than there were in the normal season because players are as some people have said cold. They're not quite used to the intensity, and I know that the premier league has plans to play friendlies and things but it's going to be the teams with bigger squads are going to benefit the most from this i in my opinion because they're going to have that flexibility and fluidity to to work this out but
2: it, it just feels like cheesy there every time they think that they've come up with a good idea they've missed a piece of the puzzle and you mentioned yeah. friendlies there clubs will be allowed to play friendlies before the restart. However, the venues must be no more than 90 minutes drive away. The players must drive there in their own cars, one person per car, and change in their cars, because the changing rooms will be out of bounds. There will also be no official referees. Um, Coaching staff will referee the games, which is almost laughable in itself, even though it's only pre-season and behind closed doors and everything else. I mean, you want some degree of uh, officiality there. But the fact that the referees haven't been tested for coronavirus at all. I mean, they're a huge part of the game. I mean, we're always thinking about the staff and the coaching staff and the players. The referees and linesmen have not been tested for coronavirus. How have they been omitted from this? How have they been completely avoided from from having to test uh, for COVID-19? I mean, that's a baffling thing for me.
1: Well, I don't quite understand why not. But surely with two weeks, it's two weeks today until the resumption. Surely now they have to be, because if they test positive, they can't they can't do it. I don't get it. If they test positive now, they've, they've got to go and self-isolate. So we could, in theory, lose lose referees ahead of the restart, which is going to mess up all the plans. So there, there's got to be something. There has to be something that we don't know about there. Surely, just just in the back of my mind, I'm thinking they've got this sorted, surely. But um, I, I think the, these friendlies are quite quite funny and I'm quite fascinated by what's going to go on. I want to see Pep and Klopp running the lines in a friendly between City and Liverpool and just seeing it would be so behind the curtain to see how players treat each other in a non-competitive environment. Just just to see if, if they're, they're all dead friendly and they're all laughing with each other when somebody nutmegs the other. I'd love to see stuff like that. We won't see it because there'll be some ridiculous things going on that the clubs don't want us to see and you'll see some really bad fitness and things like that but it's uh it's it's all just fascinating i think the whole thing and we've, we've said it time and time again is it's like a morbid fascination that we don't really want to see it but sod it we're going to just look at it and think wow what what is going on here so This is just another thing. Steve, your team
2: Liverpool, obviously 25 points clear at the top of the table. Massive gap. The chances are almost 99.9% certain that you are going to win the Premier League title. However, research from uh, Zone 7, who are like an injury analytics company, have suggested that, as Kesey said, players will be going into the restart cold and there's a 25% increase in chance that they will pick up a serious injury. Now, if you're Jurgen Klopp, He's come out and said, Jurgen Klopp, by the way, that he's not taking anything for granted. These games coming up are difficult games and they want to get the job done. They don't want to kind of sail to the title. They want to make a a statement of it, which is understandable. And he would say that as manager. But also in the back of Jurgen Klopp's mind, do you think he'd be thinking, "Okay, I don't need to play Mane. I don't need to play Salah. The likelihood is we are going to win one of the last few games. I don't want to risk injuring one of my players because the likelihood is next season is pretty much going to be upon us by the time this current restarted season ends and if what happens to Leroy Sane at Manchester City where in the community shield he ended up busting his ACL and is out for a year if that happens to a Liverpool player I mean that could be serious business not only financially but also in terms of Liverpool's chances of of being successful in recent in in the coming weeks and months.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and it's a good point because the first player I think of when I think muscle injuries and any injuries is Naby Keita. Unfortunately, uh, you know, at Liverpool, who's had a rotten run of luck with various muscle injuries over the last twelve months. You know, there's a player in there. He just he just unfortunately has struggled with fitness, but it, it's bound to happen. And I think from Jurgen Klopp's point of view, I think he'll be thinking um, if. You know, we we can get it done in one or two games. We've obviously got Everton, Palace, and then City after it. Um, you know, if he, he's going to rotate, there's, there's no doubt about it. He, he's got to because he will have one eye on the season finishing and then the, ne- the next one starting. What six weeks later? Um, so it, he will rotate, and he'll get a lot of criticism for it. And he'll be told that he's he's disrespecting the league by playing the likes of Nico Williams at right back and Curtis Jones in midfield and Nat Phillips at centre half stuff like that. Um, but it's just what you've got to do and i think you know um if man city you know when the champions league starts again you know pep is going to want to win that so pep's going to manage his his squad accordingly for that as well and it's just something that's got to happen unfortunately and i think from my point of view i'd like us to get it wrapped up and, and play the kids in all honesty I, i'm not really that bothered about kind of you know 110 points or 107 points or whatever i just think get it done put it to bed but out of all the cup competitions, anyway, and, and let's just get ready for next season. That's that's my personal view, and I'll I know a lot of people will disagree with that. But when I've got my Liverpool hat on and thinking about my team and what we do for certainly the season coming up as well, because you know once it's over, we've got it over the line. We want to be in a position to be able to defend it next year as well. So um, that's what I think we need to do. Just a quick
2: one before we go to a, a break, Keezy. You've um, picked up on something which has come out of the Daily Mail today about the the slimmed-down look uh, that the Premier League will have in terms of an operational standpoint uh, inside the stadiums. So we know the amount of players that will be allowed to turn up to stadiums, the amount of uh, coaching staff, the amount of behind-the-scenes staff, broadcasting staff, etc., etc. So can you shed any light on that?
1: Yeah, um, so this is where things do get stuck quite weird when you look at the breakdown of how many people are allowed in the stadium Uh, we already knew that a maximum of 300 people will be allowed in a stadium for each game Uh, but there's some other things that Mike Keegan seems to have got the scoop on for the mail Um, there'll be 300 people allowed into each stadium for each game there will be no press conferences as they were with media staff press conferences will be done on video calls um, VAR staff at Stockley Park will now be spread across different rooms in Stockley Park, they won't be in that little cabin uh, so that's going to be fun to watch um, and then the, the other things, there will be 20 players for each team allowed in the stadium no more, 17 of the match day squad and 3 on standby so if you get 4 players injured in the warm up then you're just going to have to deal with it because you're only allowed 20 players in the, in the uh, stadium itself then it then it's uh, 12 members of medical and coaching staff per team, um, including the manager, and 10 directors and executives per club. Don't ask me why, because that's a bit stupid. The, then things start getting really weird. The host broadcaster is allowed 98 staff inside the stadium, plus 75 staff off-site. Um, it's well down on normal numbers, apparently, and there's usually a lot more. There will be allowed 25 written press and 15 radio broadcasters. That's 40 media, but you're only allowed 40 players in the stadium, which is a bit mad in my eyes. And then there's Premier League uh, productions will be allowed 23. There's 15 international commentators. So in the stadium, there will be more media staff than football staff for these games.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is a thing, especially as someone who's worked in the media at Football Games for the last six, seven years, in a broadcasting capacity especially, you see things like 15 radio staff, that's five teams of three people. I mean, you don't need that many radio commentators, and I know rights are an issue, but for instance, if it was Manchester City versus Liverpool, you'd have Radio Manchester there and Radio Merseyside there, two different commentary teams commentating on the same game now is that necessary probably not especially if 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 the you know main broadcaster would be there anyway it doesn't make any sense so you, you don't I do think that this could there. be even
1: more this could be even more scaled down yeah you don't need to be there as a as a radio reporter surely in this in this current climate there is a way that you would be able to commentate from uh, an external source be that uh, outside or be, be that at, at home i know that there's always a delay but if you got the uh, proper feed of the game you'd be able to do it it's what what i've seen when working at clubs before that's how a lot of it can be done you can do it just by taking the feed and reporting over yeah. it so yeah it call seems, it off tube in the industry we, we yeah. call it off
2: tube yeah you yeah. just watch the tv footage and commentate on it
1: it seems well over the top especially with what's going on and we're trying to be really s- slim down it seems over the top but um This is the way it is. There will be 300 people in a a 50,000 capacity stadium. Mm. lots nice. to muse over ahead of the Premier
2: League's return on June the 17th and we'll be talking a little bit more about what players might be involved next season as the latest transfer gossip has been doing the rounds we'll also be talking about Ralph Hasenhertel, who signed a new four year contract at Southampton but don't forget Football Social Daily is sponsored by German Donner Kebab authentic kebabs with lean meats hand toasted breads and signature sauces you can search for your nearest GDK restaurant on Uber Eats and Deliveroo this is Football Social Daily we'll be back after this
0: Football Social Daily with German Dona Kebab. Get it delivered to your door via Deliveroo or Ubreets. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss
1: an episode.
2: Welcome back to the podcast. My name's Niall. I've got Adam and Steve alongside me on today's show. We've been discussing the Premier League restart, which is, of course, a matter of weeks away now, just over two weeks until we see our first Premier League action for three months. March the 13th was the last time a Premier League ball was kicked and now the season is set to resume. Now, Premier League football was trepidatious for Southampton at one point earlier this season. It was certainly looking likely that they might be sucked into the relegation zone on more than one occasion and might even drop out of the Premier League entirely. Ralph Hasenhertel, who arrived at the club in 2018 from RB Leipzig after a reasonably eye-catching spell over there in Germany, has recently signed a new four-year contract at the club. Now, for me, it takes great difficulty to talk about Southampton on this podcast as a as a vehement Portsmouth fan but this is Premier League news and so therefore we should probably talk about it. Rabbit Hutch has done pretty well hasn't he Steve considering a 9-0 home defeat the worst home defeat in Premier League history uh, was inflicted upon his side earlier on this season so I mean as, as difficult as it is and I'm not giving him any credit but from a wider perspective people would say he deserves credit for the way things have turned around.
0: First of all, welcome to the podcast Southampton fans. Yeah. Um, you know, good good to have you with us. <laughs> don't take it, <laughs> Don't take any notice of our our Nile, <laughs> you know, who's got his Portsmouth with hat on. Um yeah, I think uh, Hull, I like him. Uh you know, I think he's 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 good for the Premier League. I think he's done a a good job at Southampton. Um you know, did they spend enough money Southampton? I'm not sure. Um, but I think the board deserve a lot of credit for sticking with him after the nine nil drubbing they got at the hands of Leicester at home, which is. Can you just repeat that for me, please, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> after the nine nil drubbing they got at home versus uh, Leicester, but they've stuck with him, and and he, you know, there was a point where he started to pull a few results together, and obviously get about that bottom three and get him climbing up the table a little bit, and. It goes against what a lot of clubs would do. Really, a lot of clubs would have would have sacked Hazenhoedt a, a long time ago, just out of sheer embarrassment of, of that result. And um, you know they've not done it. They've stuck with the man, and and they've reaped the benefits of it. And they've they've looked at it and said, you know what, we've got we've got a manager on our hands here. Who given the right resource and given the time can probably do some some you know exceptional at southampton because let, let's face it southampton are a relatively small football club sorry southampton fans but um you know so the 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 reality is you know it's going to be mid or, or bottom half of the table uh, every season and i think you know i look at them now as a club who need to preserve their premier league status they flirted with it and they get out of it and they flirt with it again and um, I think he's the man to do it I think he's the man to, to take him forward and I think he can sign players of a certain quality that will help the mission and I, I say fair play to him and I, I look forward to another certainly a couple of seasons of him at least being in the Premier League and uh, because he's quite entertaining I think as well
2: You're right about them being a small club certainly in terms of broadcast Oh he loves that Certainly in oh, terms of broadcast revenue if you go back to last season this is fact by the way and I'm not just I am obviously sticking, you know, sticking the knife in for a bit of needle obviously but If you go back to last season, Huddersfield, Fulham and Cardiff were the three relegated teams. They had the least broadcast revenue from Premier League matches. So basically the lowest broadcast revenue of any team that stayed up last season was Southampton. So I don't know whether that means that nobody's interested in watching them. But you mentioned about how, you know, you see them as a club that need to preserve their Premier League status. When they were in the Premier League, they were only ever just about staying up from relegation. Now, they had a taste of Europe in recent seasons is that the aim for, for Ralph Hasenhurst or Kesey? Is that the aim for him to try and, you know, get Southampton into the top half? I mean, what's, what's the aim there at that club?
1: I think we've, we've talked about this with numerous clubs and got ourselves in a lot of trouble, um, saying it, but their aim this season is obviously to stay up. And then it's just about building on that. I, I really quite like what he's done there in, in, it's been a relatively short period of time, really. Um, but he, he's kind of changed the way Southampton played. They were very, very unexciting, um, like really kind of stable and just a bit like grotty and hard to beat before he came in. Uh, well, they weren't that hard to beat because they kept getting beat, but um, he's got them playing decent football. He's brought in a few decent players, and it's good to see a club that could have pulled the trigger on him uh, after that Leicester game. You wouldn't you wouldn't have even blinked if they'd have sacked him after that game. But they didn't and they've stuck by him and now they're what fourteenth uh, or they were before the uh before this all happened and they're pretty safe this season. they fourteenth on uh I think it I can't remember how many points, but it was I think they were seven points clear, let's say. Seven points clear of the bottom three with with nine games to go. And they're only Seven points off eighth, so they're not doing that badly. Uh, they've won ten games, which is more than most of the bottom half, apart from Burnley. So they look all right. I'm glad they've stuck by him. He's the kind of guy who can build on them uh, and build on what they've got. And their aim has to be to to get that tenth and upwards. It's going to be, it's going to take just an incredible uh, transfer window or three for them to break into the top eight but I think Southampton fans would be over the moon with a top half finish mm-hmm. um, and,
2: and and also as well I think people say we should you know give the club credit for sticking with him after the 9-0 yeah. defeat because it would have been easy to sack him but I mean it would have been something like their fourth manager in like three years because they went through managers that are rare at a rate of knots you know they went through Pellegrino and then Hughes and then Hasenhurt I mean that's a lot of payoffs and like you say they're not one of the most wealthy clubs in the Premier League in terms of the revenue they bring in. So I, I don't think they maybe could have even afforded to pay Haas and off. So, I mean, I think yeah. maybe that that's something that should be looked at. Also, I, I do like to call him Ralph Rabbit Hutch, because that's what his surname translates to in, in German. Yeah. He also called Fred and Park the best atmosphere think, he's ever seen at a football ground. So I'll, I'll happily take that stop, from him.
1: Stop putting the knife in. Um, I think, I think the other thing is Southampton, by all accounts, moved heaven and earth to pull him away. To Southampton, he was a really highly thought of manager going to Southampton, and almost in the Pochettino mould, where you can you can see that he's trying to bring a, a real different style of football uh, into a club that was pretty stale before he came in. Let's let's be honest. Uh, Mark Hughes doesn't do anyone any favors at any club that he goes to, and I have no no uh, regrets in saying that, especially as a City fan and seeing him have everything that is, disp- never mind, I don't even want to go down that road, <laughs> but uh, I'm really glad that they've stuck by him being totally neutral to Southampton and not really giving a toss. Um, glad they've stuck by him, and I hope that he's given a little bit of money to play with, just to see what he can do, because he looks like a really good manager, so give him a bit of resource and see if he can really break into that top 10. its It doesn't seem a million miles away when you look at the state of some of the clubs in the in the bottom half especially you've got Everton and Newcastle above them, Palace Burnley and then above that you've only got uh, Sheffield United who are the surprise package other than that you've got Arsenal, Spurs, Wolves, United Chelsea, Leicester City, uh, Liverpool so there is a chance for them to kind of take that spot that Burnley have taken over the last few years and make it their own and there's there's nothing to say they won't, they've got, they've got some really exciting players in that squad I know that uh, Niall won't Thank me for saying that, but they they've got they've got some decent players for for a team who we say have been pretty stale. They've they've got a couple of good goalkeepers, which is a, always a good start. They brought in some really quite powerful centre backs with Bednarek, Vestergaard, Jack Stevens looks all right. They've still somehow got uh, Bertrand. Suarez went off to Arsenal in the weirdest loan deal ever. Uh, Jan Valery's done quite well for them. The the midfield is very solid Hoiberg, Romeo and Ward-Prowse and then they've obviously got some decent attackers in Gineppo, Redmond-Bufal and then Danny Ings kind of saved them from real misery so some good things going on there they just need to build on it and see where they can end up
2: I think that's it they're okay aren't they? They're okay. Yeah. They're they're average, and, and you know they want once they sort of make some decent additions. They've kept hold of a manager. Um, if they make some decent additions, then they probably can think about kicking on. Just a quick side note on Hasen Hertel. If he sees out his contract until 2024, he will be the longest-serving Southampton manager since 1991. Right then, time <laughs> to move on to some transfer news. Liverpool have been after Timo Werner for absolutely ages, Steve, but it's been revealed now that there's only 12 days left to trigger his £50 million release clause. Now, I remember talking to you several times before the coronavirus suspension of football and you said, he's on his way, it's going to happen, they're going to trigger the release clause and then, of course, COVID-19 unfortunately struck and things might have changed in the Liverpool picture since then.
0: Yeah, it's it's a funny one because, you know, Klopp is, is desperate for the player to sign for Liverpool. The player is more than desperate to come to Liverpool, as he said, in many of his... You know his his interviews with the media after games and um, so on and so forth and you know it's it's just a shame because you know spending fifty million pound on a player is in the current climate is I don't think is great form but there's a chance where if Chelsea or Man United come in for it Liverpool's hand might be forced a little bit the only thing um I'm, I'm looking at from it is that we've not had a. Uh, you know a big transfer window for what three windows now we've not really spent any money uh, in the last three transfer windows so uh, I think we signed Minamino in January for seven million quid which you know let's face it is is, is not uh, a massive amount of money in terms of transfers and um, I just think that it might force Liverpool's hand but we've got a, a, a gentleman called Michael Edwards who looks after the deals um, at Liverpool, and he, he's a very, very tough negotiator, and uh, you know, I, do, I expect him to to come up with something. Maybe pull a rabbit out of the hat because I think, from from a Liverpool point of view, if he, if he signed for another Premier League team and absolutely smashed it, which I think he will do because he's a goal machine, um, we'd be kicking ourselves for a long time, and I think it's just something we've got to do really.
2: Of course, with Jürgen Klopp, the manager, there's that that German link there, and I think he's made it clear himself, hasn't he, Steve, that he wants to join Liverpool. So, I yeah, mean, there may yeah, be definitely. negotiation from the player's perspective.
0: Yeah, I think it. I still think it'll happen, but you know, I think the problem is with this release clause. Twelve days passes, you know, Leipzig can then turn around and say, well, it's hundred million now, uh, you know, because he's, this clause has expired, and he's an absolute goal machine. Um, and I just think Liverpool, unfortunately, probably have to bite the bullet on this one and just say, right, if it's 50 million, here it is.
1: I think I think um, from a City point of view, this is the sign you don't want to see, but it's one that you can definitely see coming coming in. The thing with, with Werner in particular is, a bit like Firmino, he offers a lot more than just being your out-and-out striker. And I've thought for a while that in that Liverpool squad, there's probably two positions that they can strengthen their depth in, and strikers probably one of them. I know that Origi's come up with some outrageously surprising clutch goals over the last few years, but he's not the backup striker you want if you want to continue to dominate. If if Firmino was out uh, at the same time as Salah, you don't really have that option. Um, and Werner gives it your city. You've been lucky to have Aguero and Jesus in rotation, both getting 20-odd goals a season. And this is the signing that Liverpool you'd imagine would want to make, a young striker. Kind of like Jesus in that mould that he's young. He's not going to take too long to bed in either, and he scores goals, and he scores important goals. So I think at 50 million quid, Liverpool should be all over it. But I think I'd make this this point with any transfer at the minute. We don't know financially what this crisis has done to clubs and done to what they can afford. Um, I think we'll see this more in the Sancho deal, with it being 100 and... Well, it could be 140 million quid. Um, this could affect things because clubs might not have as much as they thought they would have had three months ago. So I still think 50 million quid, and this sounds outrageous, is, a, is a, just a drop in the ocean for a player like Werner if you can get him at that price. It's the same with Havertz, isn't it? Yeah, Bo- yeah
2: it, it does sound like a good fit though, doesn't it? God, I mean, yeah. let, let's be honest, Werner to Liverpool, it, it does sound like a good fit. Player wants it, club wants it, but obviously there's that stumbling block of the release clause. And just a quick final one, uh, Newcastle, they've stalled for absolutely ages over a new deal for young midfielder Matty Longstaff. He's now been offered double wages to play for Udinese in Serie A. He's been offered £30,000 a week as opposed to 15000 He's not featured in the squad inherently from uh, Steve Bruce. He's been left out a fair amount of times. Did score in his debut against Manchester United, of course. Uh, many people will remember. Is this a no-brainer, Steve? Head over to Italy, one of Europe's top five leagues. Play for Udinese, double the wages. A young player going over to Europe. We've seen that before. Kesey's just mentioned Sancho. Would this be a good move for the young lad?
0: I'd think it would be mad not to do it, in all honesty. I think just you know, going to sample a different culture go and sample a different league get a load of games under your belt you know if they're going to pay some decent money for him and you know go and make a bit of a name for himself I think young players have had success elsewhere if you look at the Bundesliga in particular you know we've not really had got an export who's you know gone and done it in Serie A as of yet um, so yeah you know why not I think you know he's, he's a very young guy he can come back to the Premier League should it not work out and um I think he'd come back and command decent money if he come back to, to the league anyway. So I'd give it a whirl if I was him, and I think Newcastle are probably going to have to go, actually, we're going to have to do I, something here.
1: Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a damning indictment on the way Newcastle have gone about their business as well. I think if I was Matty Longstaff, um, you look at they brought in Joe Linton, who by all accounts on 90 grand a week, and Longstaff has been trying to sort out this new contract, and he's been on 15, which is just a fraction of what this big signing who's coming in and had very little impact is on. Um, you would got to look at that and say, well, sod it. If you're not going to pay me what I know that I can be worth, he's not asking for 90 grand by all accounts. He just wants...
2: A chance at his hometown some,
1: club. Yeah, a level And he's a, he's a Newcastle fan. He's come in. He's been really impactful, scored some good goals. He looks a good player. If I was him, I'd just be saying, right, well, I'll go over there. You sort yourselves out and then bring me back at a later date. Because like Steve said, it's a... It's a great opportunity to sample a new culture, to to play a different style of football. And I, I love the fact that young English players are doing this. Gone are the days, gone are the days where you'd send you, your your loan player to to Bristol or to to wherever else in Brentford you'd send them there just so they can experience man football that people always say real men's football. Sod that. Send them out so they can play with more skillful players in a better league, and as we've seen with the Bundesliga, there's five or six English players who've gone out there and made real names for themselves. So good on the young lad.
2: Yeah, totally agree. Anyway, that's it for today's Football Social Daily. Thanks very much, Steve. Thank you, Adam. Cheers, gents. Don't forget to hit subscribe. You'll never miss another episode of the podcast again. But that's it for now. And we'll see you on Friday's Q&A podcast where you can send in your questions via our social media channels. Just search The Sports Social on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. That's it for now. We'll see you then.
0: Football, social daily with German doner kebab.
1: Fancy something different for tea? Get takeaway delivery now via Deliveroo and UberEats.